0: The Guardian.
1: With a number of vaccine candidates against the coronavirus showing promising results in clinical trials, and a growing number of studies delving into our immune response to infection, the spotlight has turned once again on the body's defence mechanisms.
0: I think there are two questions that really relate to the ability of the vaccine to protect us and our ability to fight off a second infection. Um, And so that is the quality of the immune response and the duration of the immune response.
1: This week, I'm joined by Professor Eleanor Riley from the University of Edinburgh to delve into these questions and more. I'm Nicola Davis. Welcome to Science Weekly. Eleanor, you came onto the podcast in July and talked to us about immunity and COVID-19, specifically the relationship between antibodies and immunity. So let's start with a recap on the major players in the immune system that are of interest when it comes to an immune response and potential immunity.
0: So, antibodies are small protein molecules that are produced by immune cells called B cells. um, And these B cells live in our spleen and our bone marrow. And they secrete antibodies after they've been exposed to a foreign organism, such as a virus. There are two types of cells that produce these antibodies there are short lived cells that produce antibodies for a few weeks, and they're sort of the first-line response. And then some of those cells transition into long-lived cells that go to our bone marrow and can produce antibodies for months, years, possibly even decades. And then on top of antibodies, we have cells that can kill virus-infected host cells. These are T-cells, there are two types of T-cells, one of which we think of as sort of the conductor of the orchestra of the immune system. And these are called T-helper cells. And they very much help the B-cells to make antibodies. They produce growth factors and they direct the direction in which the B-cells develop. And they also give them signals to turn into long-lived cells. And then there are the CD8 cells. And they actively kill virus infected cells. And then uh, antibodies can also bind to these less specific cells and help them to kill cells. So they recognize little bits of virus on the infected cell, bind to the infected cell and kill it. And then there are cells which are less specific, cells that we call macrophages and neutrophils, and they just recognise that something's not quite right with the cell. They don't necessarily recognise that it's infected with a virus and they kill it. So actually, all bits of the immune system work together a little bit like you need a whole orchestra to make a good tune. You need all of these cells working together to make a good immune
1: response. Eleanor, you said in July that at that point, it was too early to tell how quickly people were losing their antibodies. And we've got to remember here that it's still a a relatively new virus. Um, What's the latest research saying? There seems to have been some movement on that now.
0: What we're seeing is that if you take all the data together, there's an early peak in the antibody response, lots and lots of antibodies are produced to mop up all the virus that's in your body. And then as that virus goes away, the antibodies start to decline a little bit because you don't need that many antibodies anymore. And they settle into a sort of long, steady plateau of antibody production. Um, And that's very typical, this kind of two-phase response, the early peak, lots of antibodies followed by a sort of standing level Um, of antibodies that live live for a long time. That's very typical of an antibody response. And it sort of relates to the short-lived and long-lived cells. So you have lots of short-lived cells making lots of antibody. They die off. And then the long-lived cells that are fewer in number keep on producing antibodies for much longer.
1: So, yes, let's talk about these long-lived B cells and then also the T cells, what is research telling us about what happens to them and how, how long do they hang around for?
0: So we don't have much data on those. They're actually quite difficult to look at in humans. They, they tend to live in the bone marrow, for example, They're not very accessible. Um, and so we tend to rely on mathematical modelling of the change in the dynamics of the uh, antibody concentration to predict what's going to happen, even though we haven't actually been able to see it yet because it hasn't gone on long enough. So at the moment, the inferences that we have suggest that things are probably okay. These cells are behaving as we expect them to. There was one paper published early on suggesting there may be a little bit of a fault with the production of these long-lived cells. But I'm not sure that that's been replicated in other studies.
1: I think I saw a preprint, so a study that hasn't been peer reviewed yet, which suggested that uh, these B cells and T cells last for at least six months. Is that uh, you know what are what are the problems here in terms of measuring this?
0: So we only have six months data at the moment, and the virus really hasn't been around that long. So what we can say at the moment is that the cells are persisting for as long as we are able to measure them at the moment. Obviously, in six months or another 12 months time, we'll be able to go back to those people and say, have they still got those cells? Yes or no. Um, But in the meantime, just looking at the change in the dynamics of the response and mapping it on to what we know for other viruses, um, it, my prediction is that these that there will be some long-lived immunity to this virus.
1: You said there might be some long-term protection. How long-term are we talking here? I mean, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people saying, well, coronaviruses such as those that cause common colds, some common colds are caused by coronaviruses, of course, uh, th- that, that protection only lasts for, say, a year or so. Uh, do we think that our protection against the coronavirus here that causes COVID-19 might be on that sort of time frame or or could it be longer?
0: I think it's very difficult to say at the moment. Um, I say all of the data we have suggests that these antibody responses are going to be at least as long-lived as responses to other coronaviruses and possibly, I might think even probably, they're going to last longer. Your immune response tends to be proportional to the level of threat that you face. So the common cold coronaviruses really only colonize our upper respiratory tract, so our nose, our throat. And so the virus doesn't go very deep into our body and we make a rather brief but effective immune response in our nose and our throat that controls it. This COVID-19-causing virus goes much deeper into our bodies. It goes down into our lungs, into our bronchi, and therefore the immune response tends to be stronger. And these stronger, what we call systemic immune responses, do tend to last longer because they are recognizing that there is a more serious threat that has to be dealt with.
1: Do we know if factors like ethnicity, gender, age uh, are a factor in the scale of the immune response? You you said that a stronger immune response uh, to your first infection is, is more likely to mean that you have greater protection against the second infection. So do we know if those factors are correlated at all?
0: There's very little data so far on ethnic differences in the immune response. Um, The data that's coming out of the vaccine trials suggests that there aren't any major differences uh, between ethnic uh, uh, groups in terms of whether the vaccine protects them or not. But we haven't yet seen the lab data on their antibody responses or their T cell responses. There is a lot of genetic variation in the immune response. People be aware that some people, unfortunately, have very severe genetically determined immunodeficiencies. That's just the tip of the iceberg of genetic variation in the immune response. And some of those differences do have um, geographical and ethnic components to them, that certain genes that either make a good or bad immune response are more common or less common in certain groups or in certain countries. But we don't yet know if any of that is going to influence really the totality of their immune response. We just don't have any evidence yet.
1: And what about age? It feels like age is, a, is something that's it's very important given that the older you are, the more at risk you are from COVID 19.
0: So there are two components to that. One is whether you are able to make an immune response against a virus you've never seen before. Um, and there is, I think, really quite good evidence that your ability to make a completely new immune response does decline as you get older. Um, The other component is that a lot of the disease we see in COVID-19 is due to excessive inflammation. And there's also evidence that as we get older, we're less good at controlling inflammation. So it's a little bit of a double whammy. As we get older, we are less able to make an immune response to a new virus, such as the COVID-19 virus. And if we then get the viral infection, we're less good at controlling the inflammation that it causes.
1: So we know there are several different vaccines which are looking very promising. You have the mRNA vaccines. Uh, you have vaccines which use a chimpadenovirus to bring genetic material from the coronavirus into cells. The question is, is the immune response that's generated the same as it would have been to a natural infection? And do the B cells, T cells and so on hang around in the same way? The
0: vaccine is just a
1: tiny component of the virus. It's this spike protein, which is on
0: the surface of the virus. Um, And so if you're vaccinated with the spike protein, you make antibodies and T cell responses just to that protein. Uh, If you get the virus itself, then you get many, many more proteins that you're exposed to, and you may make antibodies to some of those. So your response is more limited, but you might also say that your response is more focused because it's actually antibodies to the spike protein that are really important for neutralizing the virus. So the vaccine induces a a narrower immune response, but one would hope it would also be focused and therefore stronger on the bits
1: that matter. And would it be expected that this will provoke a stronger immune response than natural infection? I've heard some people say that actually a vaccine uh, can can produce a, a stronger response.
0: It can if the initial infection is quite mild. So um, with a virus like SARS-CoV-2, which induces very mild infections in some people, I would expect the vaccine to in, to make a, a to induce an immune response is much stronger than you would get after an asymptomatic or mild infection. Um, people who get a serious dose of COVID two make a very strong immune response, and I doubt if the vaccine it doesn't need to be any stronger than that, and I would doubt if it is.
1: When it comes to coronaviruses that cause common cold, there's been some concern that these viruses somehow elude the memory B cells, and so uh, that's why even though we have B cells and T cells to to the common cold coronaviruses, we will often get reinfected with them. I wonder if there are those same concerns about the coronavirus behind COVID-19? So there is a little
0: bit of data. There's one paper um, that suggests that um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 uh, disables a particular pathway in the B cell response, leading to a poor long-term memory response. But these are experiments that are done in the lab in a in a, in a Petri dish. And I think it's too early to know if that's really what happens in humans. So I think it, 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 we do need to be a little bit cautious and we need to be aware that it might happen. Good news is that the Proteins that are believed to cause that problem are not present in the vaccine. So even if it's a problem in natural infection, it shouldn't be a problem with the vaccine.
1: So when it comes to these vaccines, we've all been terribly excited about the news. There's a lot of promising results coming out. But it seems that a key question that has yet to be answered is whether these vaccines are preventing people from actually getting an infection or whether it's simply preventing them from getting symptoms. So I just wonder, why is it so hard to know whether a vaccine is actually preventing infection? And what's the ramifications of that if it doesn't? So an ideal
0: vaccine induces what we call sterilizing immunity. It means that if you get exposed to the vaccine, it can't get a foothold in your body. You don't become infected. And because you're not infected, you don't get sick and you don't transmit it to anybody else. So in order to know if a vaccine has induced that, we need to monitor people incredibly carefully. So ideally, we would probably want to test them for the COVID-19 virus at least once a day, and get negative tests for weeks and weeks and weeks after they've been vaccinated. And then to see that people who had the placebo are getting maybe transient episodes when they're infected. That is a huge amount of work. Um, If you can imagine some of these trials have got 40,000 people in them and you're going to take swabs from them at least once a day for six months. That is an awful lot of work. Um, And so I think the driver at the moment is to know that the vaccine stops people dying, getting severely ill and dying. That's our goal for the moment. If we have that and we can roll the vaccines out, then we can begin to see whether there's a reduction in virus transmission. So we can get the answer another way. It'll take a bit longer, but actually that is a real example of if the virus just starts to disappear from the population once people have been vaccinated, we will know that it blocks transmission.
1: Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us here on Science Weekly. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks again to Eleanor Riley for joining me this week. We'll be back with another episode of Science Weekly soon. Until then, stay safe.
0: For more great podcasts from The Guardian... Just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.